I'm Ava Jude. I'm Tanner Freeman. I'm Alex Wilhelm. And I'm Leo Andrus. And this is Migrations and Relations for History 111 on Circumpolar Peoples. Our topic is the migrations of ancient indigenous groups into circumpolar regions and the spread of their DNA and genetics throughout the groups. Our podcast is divided into four sections, the first being the Western Steppe region and movement into Europe, specifically Fennoscandia. Second, the Central Steppes and Southern Siberia movement north. Third, the Bering Land Bridge and connections to the Native American groups. And finally, the Thule people and the movement east into Canada and Greenland. Starting off on the first one, I will be discussing the migrations focusing on the Western steppe herders, including the Yamnaya culture and the Sami and the Magyars. The ancient DNA brings new insights into European migration events, and the genetic structure of Europeans today is the result of several layers of migration. Mountainous regions, East European plains, and Western Siberian lowland have a great significance in documenting the human expansion. Experts believe that Paleolithic families could have taken long journeys through antecedent valleys across the Ural Ridge. Therefore, it's possible to assert that there were potential migration routes via the northern Urals starting about 60,000 years ago. Researchers even found mammoth tusks with human traces, which makes it possible to assume that people could have appeared in northwestern Siberia about 50,000 years ago. And the western steppe herders originated from the steppes of the Caucasus and Ural regions, and they also had a nomadic lifestyle, a pastoral economy, and burial rituals, which I noticed a lot of the groups in my region seem to have burial rituals in common. Western steppe herder migrations began about 3,500 years ago, and 5,000 to 4,800 years ago, nomadic herders known as the Yamnaya swept into Europe. The Yamnaya are early Bronze Age men from vast grasslands of the Eurasian steppe of modern-day Russia and Ukraine. Within a few hundred years, the Yamnaya contributed to at least half of the Central Europeans' genetic ancestry. Yamnaya men migrated for many generations, and it was a mostly male migration, leaving most of the women behind. From the early Iron Age, historical burial sites were analyzed to provide a closer investigation on the Sami, and the Sami are thought to be genetically similar to early Upper Paleolithic Europeans. Ancestors of the modern Sami inhabited a much larger territory during the Iron Age, and loose genetic relatives lived in a much further south area than their current geographic range. The Sami are believed to have lived in their early home in the Ural Mountains, but left to move north and then they inhabited Finnish Lakeland region by 1500 BC. And it is generally believed that Hungary came into existence when the Magyars began occupying the middle basin of the Danube River in the late 9th century. Eventually, the Yamnaya were forced, the Magyars were forced to migrate westward and settled in their present territory at the end of the 9th century. The Magyar people originated from the eastern Ural Mountains, but between the 5th and 9th century, they lived in the northern Caucasus and were closely associated with the Turkic people there, which Tanner will be talking more about. Uh, Really quick, uh, I wanted to go back to the burial rituals. Um, A lot of these indigenous people were shamanistic, and a lot of their practices in departing loved ones um, was pretty interesting. Um, So I wanted to ask... What kind of practices did these uh, indigenous people groups practice in uh, departing? Uh, well, I know they would, specifically the Yamnaya culture, would bury their people 
almost curled up in a ball with a lot of their belongings so they could almost be like sent off mm. with their things. Fascinating. Yeah, the Yamnaya specifically were a pit grave culture. I was going to say, yeah, when you said that, Leo, I just thought of pit grave culture. Mm. Like everyone was buried with all of their most important possessions. So, yeah. That's very interesting because the, uh, the Thule people would just leave them on the you know, on the earth <laughs> yeah. for predators and, and for the earth to, to take them. Yeah. I think I'd so. want to take my stuff with me, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of get that, though. I mean, you come from the earth and you return to the earth. Yeah, absolutely. Sense. I know a number of cultures also use mummification, mm. and uh, sure. that's seen a lot in, like, China. Uh, white people are found in China mummified, and it's very confusing how that <laughs> happened, and it's from these people. Yeah. Sure. Uh, mm. <clears throat> All right, well, I'm going to pick up kind of where um, Ava left off and go into the next region, which is going to be the um, Western and Central Siberian region, which is believed to have been inhabited since the Upper Paleolithic era, which is roughly uh, 50,000 years ago up until uh, 10,000 years ago. And specifically the Lake Baikal region um, has been seen to have been inhabited by the ancient North Eurasians since that time. And it seems to be where a lot of the groups I'm going to be discussing come from. Uh, the ancient North Eurasians were later replaced by a gene pool mixed between um, themselves, the ancient North Eurasians, and Northeast Asians in the early Neolithic era, which is about 10,000 to 3,000 years ago. And then by the um, early Bronze Age, which is about 3,000 to 1,200 BC, um, there's a limited uh, ancient North Eurasian ancestry in that time. The ancient North Eurasians originate in the Mammoth Steppe, as I said, uh, around the Lake Baikal area, and are believed to have introduced the genes for a light skin and blonde hair, which later spread into Europe, specifically like the groups that Ava mentioned, like the Sami that we've studied that um, have the lighter skin and blonde hair, but still have that um, those you know Asian genes. Um, many of the Siberian groups are related to Turkic peoples as well. The first specific group I'm going to be talking about is the Zhongyu. They were a group of nomadic pastoralists who dominated much of the Central Asian area by the 3rd century BCE, but they were recorded as early um, as the 5th century BCE by the Chinese. They were greatly skilled in riding on horseback and being able to do archery simultaneously. And they were a huge threat to the Chinese later on. I think I saw somewhere that they were able to do that in numbers up to 300,000. Wow. But um, eventually the Chinese built the Great Wall, and by the time of the Han Dynasty, a lot of the rulers were pushing back against the Zhongyu, which uh, split the Zhongyu up into two different groups, um, an eastern horde that ended up submitting to the Chinese, and then a western horde, which was driven into Central Asia. Hmm. They kind of disappear around the 5th century, uh, but some groups like the Tuju, which were the dominant group of the Mongolian steppe in the 7th century, uh, claim Zhongyu ancestry. Wow. Uh, the next group is the Scythians, um, who are very similar to the Zhongyu. Um, very likely that they could have been related, but they did exist around the same time. They were first recorded in history in the 7th century BC, but they could have occupied area, that area uh, as early as the 9th century. They were, um, again, nomadic pastoralists and conquerors of the Central Asian steppes, but their territory was all the way from Siberia over into the Black Sea in um, 
you know, Central Asia and over into Europe, um, they, w- they were said to have interacted with the Greeks and Persians. They reached their economic, political, social, and cultural height around the 4th century B.C., and then by the 3rd to 2nd century B.C., they had kind of settled down into the Caucasus region, which is over in um, Ava's area, and then after that, they kind of disappeared into history. And then the last group is the um, early Yakuts or Saha people, which are a huge group in uh, modern-day Siberia, especially in the circumpolar region. They um, are believed to have originated from Turkic peoples in South Siberia roughly 800 to 1,000 years ago. Um, an ep- epic poem told by the Saha uh, refers to an ancestral land that resembles the Lake Baikal region, um, which is, again, back to the ancient North Eurasians where a lot of these groups originated. They had a traditional economy based on pastoralism, which many of the groups did here because the um, Asian steppes were great for herding lots of cattle and for uh, movement. They eventually moved up the Lena River, which uh, is right around that Lake Baikal area, um, all the way up into the current Saha territory, likely because they were evading Mongol evasions in the 11th to 13th centuries AD. So they inhabited that central um, Asian area a lot longer than some of the other groups did, considering that they were there up until about a thousand years ago. Um, I wanted to note that going back to the Scythians, they were also called the Saka, S-A-K-A, and the Saha, um, that is spelled S-A-K-H-A. I think that they could definitely be related. I know that the Scythians ended up in the Caucasus region, but um, I don't think that's a coincidence. And, you know, whenever these groups migrate, they don't necessarily always take everyone or all stay together you know they break off into different groups so yeah that's very interesting yeah it's very true i like how you mentioned the ancient north eurasian gene because it's a very prominent gene amongst a lot of my people and your people yeah and um i know alex is going to talk about this in a minute but it even said that a lot of the ancient north eurasian dna can be even found in um, native american dna today wow. that's super yeah. cool wow yeah So to get to America, the first peoples crossed a land bridge. The land was connected during the last ice age between Siberia and Alaska. This land is now covered up by water and has been for about 11,000 years. It was believed that Siberians were pushed onto this land bridge about 16,500 years ago. Scientists say this group could not be more than a few thousand that crossed the bridge. It was originally thought that the first people crossed on foot. Now, new evidence suggests the possibility of an earlier migration by boat. It is possible the peak of the Ice Age could have pushed them on the bridge. Evidence for this is that there is no sign for Siberia of human survival during the peak of the Ice Age. As well, the DNA of the Northern American Arctic peoples is more like Siberians than any other North American peoples. Ancient North Siberians believed to have mixed with East Asian peoples before they crossed the land bridge. The people who stayed and lived in East Siberian Arctic had their struggles. Ivan the Terrible, a Russian Tsar and the first, came to power in the 1500s, and as his name suggests, he was terrible. After conquering a neighboring group called the Cossacks, he used the group as mercenaries. The Cossacks massacred their way east and destroyed the Golden Horde of the Mongol Empire 
they began to try to reach the sea in the west and take a further uh, take a fur tax from every group they found. They ran across a group called Idelmen in East Siberia who numbered 50,000. The Cossacks massacred them, and the group isn't even around today. Oh, my gosh. All they are in the current day is a group mixed with the Cossacks called the Kamchadal. The Cossacks stalled out after a fierce campaign against the Chuchi in the far west, a group feared for their fighting skills. Eventually, Catherine the Great ordered a return to the Chuchi as friends. Then Peter the Great ordered Vitus Bering of Denmark to find and chart the strait between Russia and Americas. His first voyage in 1724 went poorly. His ship crashed in the on islands in the sea, and a lot of sailors died. But he found others and their pelts were valuable to the Russian people. <laughs> then the explorers found what the Chuchi already knew. America had natives and had them for at least a thousand years. Russia began trade, but the native population plummeted due to disease. In 50 years of occupation, indigenous population dropped from 17,000 to 1,500. To honor Vitus Bering, the Sea Strait and former land bridge are named after him. The Russians also almost eliminated the other population, taking it from 300,000 to about 2,000 in 1911. Russians needed food, as Alaska was barren, so they journeyed south into what is now California. Eventually, in 1867, the Secretary of State, William Seward, secured Alaska and the rights to negotiate with the natives for around $7 million. This turned out to be a disaster for Russia, as hundreds of billions of dollars of valuables and oil was found in Alaska. With this, Russia's rule and the Americas ended. The U.S. had a number of bad occurrences and poor treatment of the natives, but we finally seem to be at a fair spot in working towards change. Interestingly enough, there were three waves of migration across the land bridge. It is thought they went across, came back, mixed with the Chuchi people, and then returned across. The Paleo Eskimos we know, Eskimos we know crossed 5,000 years ago. And interesting enough, the, is, there's a theory that the people who crossed were replaced about 800 years ago by a new people of Neo-Eskimos. Hmm. And these are called the Thule people, which Leo will be discussing. And they are the ancestors of the Inuit and Yupik in Alaska. So the Thule people... <laughs> had developed along the Arctic coast in northern Alaska and had migrated po possibly as far east as a, a Muzden Gulf. <coughs> excuse me. Around 900 CE, they spread eastward rapidly and reached, now please excuse my pronunciation, Kalalit Nunat by the 12th century. And the regions that encompass Kalalit Nunat is Greenland, Arctic Canada, north and southwestern Alaska, and part of Chukotko in eastern Russia. They continued to develop in central areas of Arctic Canada and even kept cultural communication between East and West Thule from Alaska in 1300 to 1700. The next thing I'm going to be talking about is the main modes of transportation, and I'd like to take a minute to uh, kind of talk about this 
mainly because the Thule people were believed to be kind of an advanced technological group, um, as well as more so an advanced civilization in terms of indigenous people groups. Um, so the main modes of transportation, a lot of this was used for hunting, a lot of this was used just to migrate in general. Um, but the first one I'm going to be talking about is the dog-drawn sleds, which helped them rapidly migrate uh, to the east. Um, and usually these sleds were wood or bone seated and strung to dogs. Um, and the next one I'd like to talk about is the kayak. Uh, it's a one-man skin boat that usually, you know, more uh, smaller groups would probably use to hunt in the sea. Um, and the next is the Umiak, which is a large open skin boat where you would take a mass of people um, to go hunting in the sea. Uh, but the one, the one uh, object I'd like to talk about the most is the drag float. So the drag float is an inflatable device that was attached to a harpoon line, and the purpose of it was to create drag or resistance on the animal in the sea, ultimately tiring the animal out and allowing hunting groups to pull the animal back to dispatch. That's um, brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so these people were way ahead of them, way ahead of themselves. Very intelligent uh, group of people, very advanced, um, and of course they were a fast-moving group, spreading from the Russian Far East throughout Southwest and Northern Alaska into the Canadian High Arctic into parts of Greenland. A lot of people speculate why these people uh, migrated, um, and there's a lot of factors that could that can kind of happen with that. Um, usually, like we talked about with conquerors, invasions. Um, you know, there's also the primary driver of climate change and the way that there's this push and pull, um, and how you know some indigenous people groups had migrated from the tundra into the taiga and back and forth during different times of the year. Um, but the Thule people actually had followed bowheaded whales eastward. Um, the medieval warm period had actually created ice territories that allowed them to follow bowheaded whales. Um, now, some other speculations online kind of include like overpopulation, uh, shrinking hunting territories. But this is not the case with the Thule people. The Thule people were actually just following bowheaded whales. So the earliest Thule migrations into Arctic Canada took form of small-scale, very rapid population movements aimed at Grand, Greater Lancaster Sound area and north and northwest of Baffin Island, closer to the Baffin Land Inuit. And of course, this is all within the Nunavut region. Uh, to get to Lancaster Sound, they had to cross many hundreds of kilometers of essentially uninhabitable wasteland. Um, and what's kind of fascinating about this is that Nobody really knows in details um, how they did it. <laughs> uh, actually, it was a very successful trip, of course, losing some people along the way, but it is believed to be one of the greatest accomplish accomplishments of uh, human history. So the migration from Alaska into Canadian Arctic completely changed the ethnic map, map for the far north. Um, archaeologists have interpreted movements and migrations resulting from many factors. Um, this, you know, these people groups were very advanced. They had uh, militias with officers and people that were um, skilled in warfare. They also had a large population of people. 
they had political leaders um, and obviously some te- uh, technological advances in, in hunting with the, some of the tools that they used. So, you know, these this group of people um, were very ahead of their time and uh, really, really knew what they were doing. So um, I wanted to take a second and go back to the land bridge, you know, that Alex mm-hmm. was talking about. You know, I remember learning vaguely about it in school. Um, but, you know, one thing I didn't know up until, you know, this class and this podcast was that there were migrations multiple. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that they went there and then back. And then some of them went back again, like it was, you mm-hmm. know, common. But you think of that, you know, amount of land, just like how long that would have taken. Oh, absolutely. You know, each group. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one thing, too, you think is like now that that land is covered by water, mm-hmm. you know, if they like could do some like deep sea diving and go down to like the ocean bed, like if they dug far enough, like if they would find things, you know, that were dropped along the way or if there were people buried. Because, you know, a lot of these groups did do pit grave culture if, you know, mm-hmm. they would find mummified bodies or, you know, pot or anything. You know, I know that's it's hard to do that when it's all underwater or whatever. Oh, yeah. But um, it's just something to think about. You know, you don't really think about that now or you think you know you're learning in school that people came over and then it melted but you don't learn about the multiple migrations or how long that might have taken and uh, to add to that they had no idea they had no idea (laughs) that they were crossing a land bridge yeah that's that i mean that's just the most fascinating to me um is that they just thought that they were you know migrating to I guess they were just following food. Yeah, yeah. They were I mean, just they, yeah. Away. <laughs> yeah. Or you wonder too, you know, like these groups had to tell, like you know, their children and you know, someone's oh, oh. about this land bridge. You know, if one day like the one group goes back and they're like, they told us there was a land bridge. Yeah. There's just water. Like, you know, <laughs> if that you know, or you know, when they stopped, you know, what stopped them? Mm-hmm. Or maybe if it was like you know, oh well, there's nothing there. Absolutely. For whatever reason, I when we learned about this briefly in in school, I thought it was ice. I, I, my my presumption was that it was ice that was the bridge, and I didn't realize it was actual land that just now, because the sea level is higher, is underwater, and that eventually it will come back. It, it will be raised to the top. And like he pointed out, um, they had no idea what they were doing, and <laughs> they just they lived on the land bridge for a while because the mammoths were there and they hunted the mammoths and other food sources. And it was so cold, more Northern in Siberia that they just, they had to escape it. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting. And certainly if people were to dive, we would find a lot of stuff from their cultures. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how all this kind of, you know, comes full circle with um, when what you talked about, like telling their children and their grandchildren about you know, there used to be this great land bridge or there used to be this bridge, you know, coming together between, you know, two continents. Um, and I'm sure they were in a, a ghast when, when, you know, that was submerged underwater. Right. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, preserving that, that culture and that tradition, um, you know, migration is definitely a big part of their culture. You know, like these people are, as we've seen in many videos in class, they are very versatile. I, they they move from area to area, and they make houses out of land, ice, etc. And I mean, it's just fascinating how you know migration is such a big part of their culture, and preserving preserving that and telling their children's grandchildren, great grandchildren, 
you know, about all of the places that they've been to. It's it's really, really interesting uh, just to and it's really kind of heartwarming to see that, you know what I mean? It, yeah. um, just, you know, telling stories to your children, grandchildren about all of these wonderful times that you had. Well, maybe not so wonderful. Yeah, people, true. People died, but... Um, <laughs> You know, just and all the all the movement and all the I guess I wouldn't want to say adventures, but kind of you know in a way the advent the great yeah. adventure of of all these people uh, yeah. is really fascinating. I think that's really uh, really nice that they uh, kind of preserve that in their yeah. culture. And one thing that's hard about a lot of these groups too is that a lot of them either um, existed before or didn't have written history mm. like they weren't able to write that stuff down um you know like most of it was oral tradition and that's how you learn um so it makes it kind of harder for people like us trying to learn about them like what exactly happened yeah you know and you know there was no maps back then or anything that's you know you wonder to those groups that did come over that land bridge like did they even realize that they were in a completely uninhabited new, you know, continent, new entire half of the world, like, you know, and the groups that went back after that, you know, did they tell these other people, like, hey, they're, or, like, did they just think, you know, just keep going, Yeah. you know, but a lot of these groups, like, you know, Alex said they were just so, fo- you know, focused on their survival, Absolutely. following food, you know, that back then that wasn't really important, you know, when later, you know, that when the Europeans came over to to North America and stuff, you know, it was all about getting land and stuff. But back then it was just survival, Survival, following food, following the weather. Like you said, it is hard to learn about their culture, culture when we don't have like many resources. But when we look at the way that they migrated or their form of migration throughout history, it gives us a lot of insight into their culture and their way of life. Yeah. And the research into DNA, too, has, I think, oh, yeah. greatly very, helped. Very, I mean, I don't think anybody would have believed 100 years ago that, you know, people that the ancient North Eurasians were related to, you know, Native Americans. So it's really cool what they can do with DNA. I even read, too, that um, some of the people that they found in, like, the Siberian region from, you know, 10, 20,000 years ago or whatever had uh, traces of, like, the bubonic plague, the Black really? Death, which is crazy wow. because that didn't really happen until about, you know, the 1300s or whatever. Yeah. But it's just crazy what they can find. They can find disease in your DNA. Like, it's just crazy. Absolutely. Especially genetics, Probably. too, you know. Yeah. Um, that's a really good, really great part of DNA testing. Um, it's really the main way that they, for groups like this, that they can trace relations mm-hmm. so, yeah well, I think that concludes our podcast yeah. thank you guys for listening yeah, yeah. <laughs>